Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shankleberg. And this is Greg Hutchins. Hi, Fred. How are you? I hope pretty good. Well, you know, we were just chatting. We we're kind of thinking of an idea, and it's not well formed yet. There's not a clear, I don't even have a title down for this thing, but I think it's worth talking about. Is what's the point of uh, a quality engineer or a reliability engineer or a risk manager within an organization? What, or, and there's many, many other roles, right? As a, what's the, what's the point of having that person within the organization as opposed to say a mechanical engineer that's chartered with create the enclosure such that it survives riding around in the hood of a car. Right, they have a very clear specification. They have technical details of, of knowing how to design something that will fit that and can be manufacturable. But a reliability engineer, we're not in charge of making it reliable. It's not our job to, you know, the the old adage of throw it over the wall. I think quality had that happen for a long time, where they somebody would create that box for the under the hood and they throw it over the wall. The quality is so here. You make a quality and make it a good one. <laughs> right. And that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. um, so when you boil it down, what is it the role of a safety officer, uh, a reliability engineer or manager or quality engineer or manager? What is it that they're really expected to do? That comes down to a really basic question. What's the value proposition to the organization? Uh, lately, over the last couple of years, we've been giving a lot of talks on the future of work, favorite topic of ours. And our premise is that every profession that has soft uh, borders to it is going to be disrupted. Mm -hmm. And what you're really talking about are soft borders and risk management and reliability and quality. Um, if everybody is responsible for quality, for example, what's the role of a quality professional? Uh, and I think part of it is to support great decision making. Uh, quite often, as like you said, the quality reliability engineer is not responsible for the decision, but they're responsible for supporting a great decision. Yeah. And that supporting, what I interpret that as and what I think of it as is that it's providing a, a view of the world that may not be immediately available to the decision maker or it's a set of data or test results or assessment or, you know, it's the product of our work, whether it's an FMEA or an environmental test is not just that we did an FMEA or did an environmental test or met this standard for some exposure to, you know, hazardous chemicals or whatever. It's not checking the box. It's, providing information that informs and educates and helps people become better at what they do. And primarily the person that has to say, yep, this product's ready to ship or no, let's, let's shut this line down and, and improve this, this and this or whatever. It's the folks that are in charge of making decisions of where resources get allocated. And it's rarely uh, the folks like reliability, quality and so on that do that. So a couple of things. Um, 
I agree with you in a lot of ways. Um, it basically comes down to providing context and providing perspective, providing a point of view. So there was a program I was watching on YouTube the other day, and I'll bring it up. Uh, the high tech companies where you work uh, have individual contributors, ICs, mm -hmm. and they go from a level one to a level nine. Level nine right now, L9 for Google, makes over a million dollars a year. But there aren't that many of them. Again, they don't manage anybody. They're just simply very good experts, or <laughs> that's redundant. They're experts in their knowledge domain. And a software engineer was asked, how did somebody go from a level one, low level, to a level six? Uh, I see, individual contributor. And again, a level six at Google makes about half a million a year as a programmer. And anyway, the guy who was uh, asked the question thought about it for a moment and basically said, context and perspective. The level six engineer knows what problem is important to solve and what decisions need to be made. The level one, two, three, four engineers or software or coders, programmers, they basically look at the problem and can solve the problem, but they don't provide the larger picture of understanding the perspective. Well, it's, I mean, it's one thing is where somebody's saying, all right, we need this functionality or we need this bug fixed and it's served up to you and you go away and solve that in some mm -hmm. amount of time versus the one that's saying, this is a problem that needs to be solved. It, is that a, an example of the ability of their perspective and context yes it's the critical and it's the critical problem to the organization that needs to be solved i mean a classic example is when we go into a project we ask what problem are we trying to solve mm -hmm. uh, who's the customer uh, why do they need to solve it simple three questions I, I would add on to that sequence is how will you know when it's done right how do you, what's the criteria for success <laughs> How do you know when you're right? We got it right. That's the, right. You know, the pain goes away or the profit goes up or the customers are happy or there's usually something that says, oh, okay, we, we got it. Well, I would basically offer another visual, <laughs> which <laughs> we've been, we, I've used for a lot of years. Entry-level engineer basically looks at the knothole of the tree. A director-level engineer understands the forest. So, you know, as you become more proficient in engineering, whatever discipline, mechanical, electrical, you go from looking at the knot hole in the tree to the limb, the trunk, tree, and then finally the forest. Mm -hmm. And asking those right questions from the, having the right perspective, I think is what quality professionals, reliability professionals can add value to the decision. Are we solving the right problem? Yeah. Now, there's another aspect to this, though. There's... I find a very successful reliability or quality person mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. is adept at changing their perspective and their language. Um, if you're talking to a technician on the floor that's running a piece of equipment or trying to, you know, get it running again or whatever, you don't start talking about the forest and the impact on the world's ecology. <laughs> it's just not helpful for that circumstance. It's more, do you have the parts and the equipment and, and the skills and training you need? Or, you know, have you thought of this or how about this part? You know, what, you know, how's this work or not work? And it's a whole different realm in knowing when to get out of the way and when to stop pestering them too, I think 
counts. Well, I guess that counts at all levels. But if the CEO walks up and they say, what are you doing? It's not, well, we're, we're loosening these three bolts in a particular order so that we can move this flange and reseat this seal with a new polymer, this, that, and the other. And he's like, well, we're trying to get the line back up and running. <laughs> You know, if we only, <laughs> if we had the right equipment and tools and, and did the preventative maintenance on this, this wouldn't happen, you know, and here's the bigger picture. Here's the maintenance program kind of gets pulled into it. Um, the board shows up and it's like, you know, it's a different conversation. This is, you know, we're down for two minutes and we've lost three cents on our stock price, you know, due to the lost productivity. <laughs> completely different realms or perspectives and i think people that are really good in my event, mm -hmm. opinion are able to um match the perspective of the person they're talking to and another example would be the person on the line is focusing on the how the person a little higher up is focusing on the what how much and then finally at a higher level why are we doing this mm-hmm yeah. Now, and, and you've also used it. I know in our previous conversation, you talked about different levels of um, methods or techniques or tools, a transactional level. And, and I'm drawing a complete blank on what the other ones were. Strategic, I think, was one of them. But Yeah, largely the three levels that we use are the enterprise level. The second level down is what we would call the programmatic project process level mm -hmm. and the lowest level is the transactional or the product level the service level the how right we're making a product there's a somebody buys it and there's a <laughs> transaction of money i think of it that way and then exactly. there's, there's somebody that's saying all right now we have to build a factory and supply chain mechanisms and all these other pieces to actually go about having everything in the right place so we can make the product and the right people and so on. And then enterprises, are we even making the right product? You know, let's, let's move into this market. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Great example. But the, the, <laughs> the basic idea though is I see job uh, descriptions all the time, right? And for years and years and years. And so we want mm -hmm. a uh, master's or PhD, you know, or so equivalent experience. We want this, we want that. Somebody familiar with these software packages, somebody that could design a test, somebody could do this. You know, somebody's a good communicator. No, it's not good communicator. It's always great communicator. Um, and it's like, and, and join a dynamic team. It's always dynamic. I want a laid back team. You never see that in a job opening. <laughs> Join our laid back team. We take Fridays off, you know, kind of thing. Um, it's, I, I, what is it you want me to really do? You know, and, and I've had a few bosses over the years that say, you know, that's great. You can run this test and you get the experiment and everything else, but you're not helping me interpret it. You know, it's, what does this really mean? And, um, what other tests should you be running that I haven't asked you to run yet? You know, it's kind of nudging you out of that first level engineer role. It's like, all right, now you got to make up your own work, you know, look at the process and what is it that needs tweaking or improvement or changes and help us see that. And, and I don't see companies saying, Bring your expertise in here and share your insights and perspective with us. You don't see that. 
the task orientation is really the transactional orientation. Uh, what companies are looking for, and I'll just offer another example, and this is much harder, you're right. Every job description for, say, oh, uh, individual contributor to, say, a second-level manager has all of these attributes. Manage a budget, you know, write performance reviews, encourage exactly. and ex- excellence in your, ba- in your employees, and like, okay. Yeah. Process, <laughs> process-based. Yeah. But you can really separate the, you know, the, ma- the managers, the good managers from other managers by one simple metric. Have you run a P&L and can you make money for us? For people in a company these days, running a P&L, a profit loss organization, and being entrepreneurial and, entrepreneurial and making money is really the essence now of success, I think, in organizations. It's outcomes-based, it's measurable, uh, and it follows the life cycle from conceiving a product and service to putting it out there and seeing how it works, if it generates income. Yeah, now I see that for managers that, you know, and it kind of gives you that chicken and egg thing. How do you get a role like that unless you've already (laughs) done it kind of thing? Uh which happens, otherwise we wouldn't have any that are getting hired that way. Uh, But the individual contributors might be really, really good at creating ideas out of uh, recognizing problems that we have the, the bandwidth or skills or capabilities to create a solution for. And when I was at HP, there was a whole building full of these people that, you know, were working on things that might (laughs) maybe become a product 10, 15 years from now, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, and, some other stuff was just amazing. He was like, why is this not a product? <laughs> Some of it was like, what in the world are you doing? You know, but it, it, that was the investment the company was making to, to, but those were individual contributors by and large that were brilliant in material science or in this area or that area or whatever. Um, and then when they would get close enough to an idea that goes, this might be a product or could be a solution to these kinds of problems, then it would get handed off to people that would be the entrepreneur type. Let's figure out all the hurdles to get this thing to actually be profitable. And it might not be anything to do with the original concept. I think that's a different skill set altogether. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So, how do we pull all this stuff together for our listeners? That's my next question. <laughs> well, one of the things is whatever role or spot you land in within an organization mm-hmm. or even as a consultant is, is mm-hmm. you're bringing in your own skills and biases and experiences and all those other pieces to it. And mm-hmm. part of it is, and I don't know if this is good career advice or not, but never do what you're told to do. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Greg, you know, you've, talk to so many clients and, and they'll say, Hey, we need a, a risk management program set up. And, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you're going to ask a ton of questions about what in the world do they really mean by that? What do they really want? <laughs> what problem are you trying to solve? Right? Mm-hmm. And I've had people come to me and say, Hey, we, we, we need a reliability prediction. And I'll say, I, one, I don't like reliability predictions because they give you pretty useless information. <laughs> what do you really need? And if it's, oh, we need to check a box so we can do the sale to this organization that insists we do a prediction, and I, okay, well, you can find somebody cheaper than me to do that. Go go away. 
He says, but if we need to know if it's good enough, right? Well, here's some other ways you can actually answer that question. Then I'll engage with them. But that's what I mean is don't do what you're told. If, if, I, if they said, oh, we need a prediction and I just turn the crank and send them a bill, I'm not serving them at all. You know, I'm not helping them actually solve the problem that's underlying the request. And so the job description says somebody to, to run environmental tests and halt tests and, and run all of our stuff mm-hmm. in our test mm-hmm. lab. All right. To what point? You know, what what is it I'm actually trying to contribute to this? Organ- if you don't ask how you're contributing or adding value, I think you're missing the point of our role as you know, educated, experienced professionals coming into the, into the organization. Um, but coupled with that is how does this make a difference? How can I actually, if, you know, if this report goes upstairs and it sits on somebody's desk and and never gets read, you know, in my opinion, even as a young engineer was, well, I'm going to stop doing it and see if anybody notices. I got other stuff I'd rather be doing, (laughs) you know, if it's not useful, don't do it. It's just that simple. And if the boss says, no, you got to turn this crank every two minutes, you got to, you know, what was the lost TV series that somebody was there and had to push the button every five minutes or something. (laughs) And it wasn't connected to anything, anything, but it was, it's that mindset of reinvent your role, do the things in your role that blend together what you're good at, what you really want to do well at, and what actually makes a difference, what actually helps people make better decisions or creates value to the organization or whatever. I think in that context, then wherever you are in the organization, you're actually more valuable to the organization. You're, you become not replaceable. If it's just somebody to push the button every five minutes, we can, fi- we can get a robot to do that. And we can automate it. Yeah. Exactly. Especially with AI coming down the path, a lot of things, routine activities are going to be automated. So I think it's important for our listeners' uh, uh, professional credibility as well as uh, employability to know three things. Their value proposition, how do they... Uh, make a difference, and three, how do they support decision-making? Yeah, yeah, no, good summary. You know that you mentioned AI, and that's I was <laughs> I just sent out a note saying, hey, we, we're looking for ideas for the title of the book that Carl and I are working on. Mm-hmm. And one of them said, well, just tie it to one of the fad terms going on right now, like AI or <laughs> artificial. <laughs> and he said, yeah, use it as artificial reliability. I said, well, maybe not. <laughs> i'd make it simple just simply say what problem are you trying to solve you know and leave it at that well you know world (laughs) peace you know and and, and, um uh, yeah no it's a good point good summary um and it's one of the things i i've run into some from just key people i've worked with and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. have really tried to help me understand what it is I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I like the Google story of, you know, different perspectives, context and perspective. I think that's a real uh, thinking that through as to how you approach one problem or another, all that makes sense. 
Um, so if you're listening to this and you're going, what in the world are you guys talking about? My boss says I do this, I do that, you know, or <laughs> my boss doesn't say anything about what I'm supposed to do and, I, and I'm making a difference. I'd like to hear either one of those stories and, and or questions related to this. It's more a career thing, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of us now are reevaluating where we are, where are we going and how we're going to get there. And um, decision making, that's what it's all about. I think so. Yeah. I, I heard that the other day is that it's no longer a career ladder. It's a career portfolio. Nice. nice options. What are your options? <laughs> so anyway, let us know what you think. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And you can find a couple of a contact form and a way to record a message to us. Or you can find Greg and I and the other hosts over on LinkedIn and or on our about pages. There's plenty of ways to get in touch with us. Um, you know, every time I say that now, it's kind of a, a pattern. I'm I'm hearing all of the <laughs> the the players getting clicked off because they know it's the end. Maybe we should do a giveaway or something at the end for those that stay with us to the end. Yeah, yeah, secret giveaway. Your book, my one of my books, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, well. You know, and do some and do some of this. Pay attention for twenty minutes. But anyway, <laughs> we'll make it work for the listener. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We certainly appreciate it, and have a great rest of your day. Here it's Tuesday, so it's going to be a good day. Happy day. All right. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Talk to you later. <laughs> you bet. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.